2: Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T.
3: Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. Hey, Money Movers, welcome back to Money Moves, the daily podcast determined to give you the keys to the kingdom of financial stability, wealth, and abundance. On today's Deep Dive, we are joined by Curtis Daniel III. Hey, Curtis, welcome back to the podcast. So excited to have you here again. Oh, thanks for having me. It's an honor to be here. All right, in case you missed our previous episode with Curtis, Curtis Daniel is the co-founder and CEO of Patchwork Studios. He shared his story about developing Patchwork Studios and spoke about some of his favorite and most memorable studio sessions. So Curtis, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me all right curtis there are several inspiring entrepreneurs that want to become the next big name studio executive so really glad to have you on the podcast today and we're going to deep dive into some of the nuts and bolts of how you've created such a successful studio over the years so let's go back to the beginning stages in our last episode you talked about some of the pitfalls in in terms of like getting a space, having a lease, et cetera. What are some tips that you can offer to anyone who wants to start their own recording studio?
1: You no, know, I, I think the biggest thing, um, I, 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 you know, I talk in terms of business, even if it's not a studio, yep. but, um, I think a, a lot of people seem like that. They, I think people have the misconception that your personal credit doesn't matter when you opening up a business. And even though that we're, you know, we're a corporation and we have several LLCs,
3: mm-hmm. um,
1: everything get reduced down to the lowest common denominator, which is, which is your credit. And so your credit is going to affect, you know, your access to capital. And um, even if you can't get a loan and, and you got a high interest rate, it's going to put a lot of pressure on you as a new business. And when, you know, we had been in here and, and, and we were refinancing the deal, And I remember one of the deal breakers was when I kept asking them for like a line of credit. You know, I'm like, (laughs) y'all giving us, you know, millions of dollars and I want a $150,000 line of credit. And the the bank kept saying why. And I said, man, there are Fortune 500 companies like Ford and Delta, American Express, and none of them operate without a line of credit because without it, if you have slow pay or a downturn, man, you end up getting foreclosed on and out of business when all you needed was like a bridge loan. So I would tell people to to focus on yourself and make sure personally you're financially solid, meaning your credit score and stuff like that. And then if you are going to have to borrow money from an institution, um, don't just get enough money to open your business, get enough money to uh, to, to, to support slow times and cash flow so that you can stay available to receive your blessings down the line. And that's kind of like the foundation. It's kind of like if you start bad, man, you 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 rush in the open.
3: You're already behind, you know I mean?
1: yeah. Yeah, you're under pressure and then you're not going to perform because instead of worrying about your customers and your product, you're worried about generating enough money to get that bank off your back. So yeah, so- get enough money, get enough money to open and get enough money to sustain yourself. If you hit a rough patch.
3: You talked about that in sort of our last episode, how it's hard to navigate, especially in this industry, you know, people want to come in, they want to record, but they don't want to pay you until you get paid. And so this idea of being really intentional with, you know, having a little bit of access to credit and capital and making sure you have money to bridge those long days. How do you have any thoughts on how you've been able to collect from artists? Because artists, you know, their money flow is tight sometimes too.
1: Yeah. So for us, you know, we, we in a, you know, when we first, we, we're really good. yeah, And so we, we get a lot of people that want to work here and then, you know, our price point kind of kind of prices us out of a, a certain amount of riffraff per se. Mm-hmm. And so for us, a lot of times, a lot of business we're doing, we're not even doing it with the artists. We're doing it with the labels or the, ad, the administrators <laughs> at the labels. Yep. So there's an admin person that's in the office that can see this artist's whole budget. You know, they can see the production budget, the video budget, the every budget that they have. And so, you know, typically we may get a phone call from an artist, a manager or an artist says an artist wants to work. And then we need to make an estimate and get approval from the record label. And the record label will issue us a, a PO, which is a purchase order. So mm-hmm. basically, you know, they have a budget. And they like, OK, well, you know, Justin Timberlake is going to be a patchwork for seven days. Um, it's twenty two hundred dollars a day. And that's fourteen thousand dollars. They'll pull that fourteen thousand dollars out of the budget and set it to the side. Yep. And then when we send our bill in, we kind of guaranteed to get paid. So that's how we deal with labels um, with independent artists. When they call, you can call up here to book a session. We'll put it on hold. But it won't be confirmed until you pay a deposit, which is 50% of your total. And yep. then before you start working, you have to pay the balance off. Now, what I will say is them record labels don't care. Like, right? you know, they they take the attitude that they'll pay you if they need you again. So we were we've we've been threatened many a times because we have a collection agency. And I don't care if you're the biggest record label on earth. Yeah. You don't when this you don't pay me. yeah when you don't pay me i'll send them the collections and so we've been threatened they try to settlements and we don't take them and so what it ends up doing is it's kind of like you can either get taken advantage of a whole bunch of times or you can teach them that you're not going to get taken advantage of one good time and they'll pay you like they know they know to pay us because i'd be like man well you know i really don't care about you being a client if you don't pay and they'll threaten and be like hey i'm gonna tell all the other artists that you took us the collections and I said, "Well, I'm gonna tell all the other artists that you don't okay. pay your bills. Right. Yeah, so you know, a bad client, we don't care about them. You know what I mean? If they're a bad client, then man, we by the time we sent them the collections, we've called you, we've emailed you, we've established that we've done the work. You just you just being a jerk about it. So it's unemotional. We'll, we'll send you the collections and then
3: and then don't call us. And I think what I I, I want people to understand is this is a business, you know, Mm -hmm. it might be something you're super passionate about being in the recording industry, but it's a business. So it's not just you and your homeboys. You're like, we have a back office, we have a collections agency, we have admins. Like, so for those of you out there who are looking to get into this, it's a business and you always have to structure your business to make money and do the things it needs to do. So I appreciate that. It's it's well, let, me, awesome. let me let
1: me say that. the sad part is if you are a new studio, they looking for you. Oh you're, you're gonna get you go, all the, the you gonna you're gonna be get all the kind of not hot producers and artists that's gonna come through and try to run through you because you're gonna be so desperate to try to get a name to get a client base. And they, I just see it every time a new studio open, oh, such and such is over here, such and such is over here. And I already know they ain't getting paid because I, you know, eventually them studio people will call me and ask how to deal with the situation. And I feel bad for them because that's their dream and that's their business. But you got these people that's just running through them. They don't know anything about how the POs work, how to collect money up front and all this stuff or whatever. And they dang sure don't have a collection agency. So these people you dealing yep. with artists who ain't even giving you your real name. I mean, yeah. all you know is, is, wow. this is this is producer Lil Lil whoever. And then you don't have any information. That dude comes in, records, tell you he's going to bring you your money, and then he's gone. You nope. know what I mean? And that, that's what mess up a lot of these studios, man. They get ran through by, by a bunch of people. By, and they're by, kind by of like people.
3: ghosts in the industry. Well, now,
1: you know what? I'd be like, they're not working here for a reason.
3: Right. And it ain't and it ain't
1: because we're not doing our job. They're not working here probably because they can't pay their bills. And it's yeah. a reason why they're coming to your studio now because they're trying to hustle you.
3: So interesting because I feel like network and networking and who you know plays a big role in being successful in the recording industry. What do you say to like the early artists, or sorry, the early studio companies that are trying to launch? Like, are there really great ways that have proven out to how, you know, so that they can build their reputation, build a business and not fall into the pitfalls of like, hey, I worked with these ghost artists that came in. You know, because I think it's it's a hard balance.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's really about, you know, when we, when we got started, um, I went around, it's 26 years, and I promise you. I've 26 never,
3: years in the game, y'all. This I've, I've,
1: I've, I've never named this person, and I'm still not going to name them. But I went to a studio, and I was trying to figure out how do you do your rates? How do you charge? How do you pay people? And that lady was so mean, she would not tell me anything. And so it forced me to read and learn how to do it on our own. And so it kind of scarred me to the point where I said, you know, if we ever get in a position where people are yep. looking at us, like we're the leader. I'm going to change that. I'm going to share the information. And I personally feel like if we have more than one great studio in Atlanta, then it makes us better. So I, all these studios that, that come behind us, most of the time they'll come in and I'll sit with them. They'll ask, can they bring their architects in and look at our studio? I'll let them see them. I'll show them our plans. I'll tell them who we use to do certain things where we got equipment from, who did financing, who does insurance. Wow. Um, I'm, I'm going to give them a session report and be like, you need one of these. I'm going to tell them what they got to do on the invoices. So it's really to the point where it's almost kind of like, you know, pride comes before the fall. Yep. So if, yep. if you are opening up a new studio and you have some questions and you want to know something, then ask. But if, 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 if you take in the approach that, hey, I'm going to try to beat patchwork or I'm going to try to crush them and I'm going to be in competition with them, then you're probably going to bump your head. I feel
3: like you're making your own karma at that point. And I think, you know, probably... one of the things that has made you su- so successful in this is that people gravitate to that. They see that you're out here trying to help other people. You've created educational classes, master classes on how to be successful. And that only like lifts you up. And then, you know, what is it? The rising tide raises all boats.
1: <laughs> yep. I, I felt like it really was more evident during like when this pandemic hit because,
3: mm-hmm.
1: you know, we had a lot of people who, who wouldn't give independent artists and producers the time of day big artists and big labels. And then when all that show money shutting down, next thing you know, you see your biggest artists online talking about, I'll review your music. And I always tell people, our customers are more intelligent than that. They know that you've been about that BS all these few years and you you can go back and be like, well, if I trace patchwork back to 1995, they've been sharing information and then been doing the same thing. So throughout the pandemic, we, we just became more authentic because it was more fakes out there. And I, and I thought it was a blessing because people realized that certain people was only doing stuff. And soon as this stuff ended and turned back around, them people would probably change their phone number and never talk to you again. Right. It, was it. it was only doing it because, you know, they got their toes smashed. Yep. You know what I mean? And, and it wasn't authentic. And, um, you know, and you, you can't fool people like that for 26 years if it's not real. So, you know, we've been consistent and, um, It's paid off over the long haul. From BBC Radio 4,
0: Britain's biggest paranormal podcast
1: is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've
0: summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. (laughs) Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career enroll today at trinityschool.org that's trinityschool.org
2: <clears throat> AT&T connects an O to podcasts connect the alarm change the podcast you stream connect the snooze 10 more minutes to dream connect the shower
3: OK, so in running a studio, what are some of the most critical hires or team members that you have on your team?
1: Well, ours is um, mine. The first thing was because I was the manager. And when we first started, I wasn't in the music industry. And I thought that the artist was the most important person. And then I thought the, the uh, producer was. And, and after we did our first couple of sessions, because back in the days we were on tape, we were on analog. Right. I, realized, I quickly realized that the MVP is the engineer. The artist couldn't do his job and the producer couldn't do his job without the engineer. And that was one of the things that we brought to the industry is that we were pretty much the first studio to hire staff engineers and not make them independent contractors. And what that did for our engineers is they started getting W-2s. They was getting benefits. They was able to get their cars and their houses. And so we attracted the best engineers that When artists wanted to work with the best engineers, they told the artists that we only worked at Patchwork. So our critical, our whole business for these years, we've been known for our engineering. Mm -hmm. and We attract the best students from some of these schools because we got a good program that we can take them from an intern to a Grammy nominated engineer. So the engineer and the only other position that we have besides engineer is two, is a front desk person and then there's a manager. And so for us, since 1995, you couldn't get a person to tell you that we were selling studio time. We've been selling customer service since day one. So we we tell the person at the front desk that you're the, you're the first point of contact. When they call you on the phone, man, it irritates me if a receptionist answers the phone and can't tell you how to get there from the freeway. Like, yes. man, you know, so you got to know how to get there from every freeway. Yeah, to get directions. It, it irritates me when the, the receptionist can't email you something and, and can't get you to a manager. So all of those things, we basically tell them, man, you're the first point of contact. When somebody got up enough nerve to call us, they called you first. When they walked in the building, you greeted them. You know what I mean? That's
3: the start of your experience before you even get there. Absolutely.
1: And then just a great manager. So the manager is, is, is the, is the, you know, the backbone that kind of keeps everything together Mm -hmm. from paperwork to the admin, to the scheduling and all of that stuff. So those are the three components, but You know, I think that the the biggest mistake that I hear people make is when they think that when they just want to be an investor and I'd be like, man, you can't even own a Chick-fil-A unless it's owner operated. Right. People that think that they got money and they want to start a studio and they're going to hire somebody to do it it and it ain't going to work. So my philosophy, I always hear people say, I wouldn't ask anybody to do anything that I wouldn't do. My philosophy is I don't ask anybody to do anything that I haven't already done.
3: And I think that's so true. Like the most successful entrepreneurs or business owners, they know their business in such detail. They know what it takes to work the front desk, to the back office, to be a sound engineer. Like you have to know your business inside and out.
1: I think that's the most crucial thing because if you don't, you don't know when somebody's trying to get over on you. You don't know how long it takes to mix a song. You don't know, how long it take to book a session. So literally I, I think it's important to go through all those different things because one, you don't know. And then two, how can you train somebody to do it if you didn't already do it? Yeah. And those are the things that like, I think that make people unsuccessful because it's a ton of athletes that started studios, a ton of uh, artists and everything, and they didn't work because they were just investors Yeah. And, and investing in something and not being involved in your business, man, doesn't always work.
3: All right, just a couple more questions here and then we'll let you go, but there's just so much information that I wanna know. So we talked about artists that come to the studio and it's hard, you know, they're early stage artists, they might not have a lot of money to fund their projects. What are some of the ways that artists can maybe use social media or other things to get those initial lump stums to fund a project?
1: So one of the things we've done, I think it's been about 15 years, we offer financing. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we partnered up with a finance. It was GE Capital at the time. I remember I was out walking and I kept trying to think of the common denominators of some of the most successful businesses. And I was trying to think of businesses that have been around for hundreds of years. And I was like, man, the oldest businesses are these colleges and universities. Yep. And, and I kind of started going down. It was like, what's the reoccurring thing? And then I start thinking about cars. And I said, man, all the businesses that are successful, you can borrow money to pay for their services. And I said, well, man, we need to, there's, there's no studio that offers financing. We need to be able to let people borrow money to pay for our services. And so um, I remember I contacted the people and they had to come out and do a tour of the facility because it needed to be a brick and mortar stuff. Yep. And look at our financials, look at our history. And man, they called me back and said, you passed. And um, so we we're able to offer financing and, um, And, you know, we we got two programs. One of them, you spend as little as $250. They'll give you six months, same as cash. You spend over $500. You got a year. And so what I try to get people to do is try to get them away from coming in here, trying to do a whole 10, 14 song mixtape. And I'm like, that's just bad business to me. You should take one song. Right. Put a cost value on it. Know how much it costs you to record it, mix it, master it, do marketing, artwork, shoot a video. And then you put that one song out. And, you know, if it's your kid and your kid's responsibility is to get your money back. And if you get, get your money, your money back. back from this, I'm not asking you to make me any money, but if you get the money back, then I'll pay for a second one. And then if you get that money back, I'll do a third one. So I try to encourage people to I'd be like, man, I'm not in a hurry to take your money. We've been yep. here a long time. Yep. Don't come in here trying to do 10 songs. You're going to learn so much from doing one song properly the right way. So let's record it properly, let's mix it properly, let's master it properly, let's code it properly, let's, let's distribute it and register it properly. Now you don't have to go out and keep trying to learn what a real song sounds like by listening to you know, a, a, a Dr. Dre record or comparing right. it to a Michael Jackson. You can take your own record and take it everywhere you go. And if you go to a place to record, And you play your record back that you recorded here and it doesn't sound like that. You know, that's wrong. If you go somewhere to get your get your record mixed and you compare it or you take the record that was mixed and mastered here to a studio. And when you play it and it don't sound right, it's nothing wrong with the the recording. That'll tell you it's something wrong with the room. You shouldn't work there. So. And I think what you said
3: was really interesting. Like there's a lot of gems here. Like you've got some subtle wisdom that I hope people are picking up on. Number one, like don't rush out and think that you can do 14 songs all at once because you're going to get a deal. And if I buy more hours, like build one, build Mm -hmm. one hit, understand the process, know what goes into it, take that and sell it and see how you do. And then come back, get a a return on your investment. I love that because I think – Oftentimes people think I'm going to book a studio. I'm going to do it for two days. and I'm going to knock everything out. Like there's, there's a lot of nuances there, especially for new artists. So I hope they really understood what you're well, saying.
1: One thing that that people really have to hear is whenever I do a business or anything, you will never hear me talking about trying to make money. Mm-hmm. You will only hear me talk about trying to recoup my expenses. Mm. And so I think a lot of people... You you judging yourself or you being too hard on yourself when you're trying to make money, you just need to you just need to like I tell people, man, you can you can float in the ocean forever and stay that, alive. You you can celebrate 26 years if you break even, but if you go out in the middle of the ocean and you swim so hard that you get tired in an hour, you're gonna drown. So when you when you do a project and you so big on trying to make money. You're using all of your energy and you're going to drown and you learn so much more in sports between the first and the second game. Same in the music industry. You go through doing a song. You're going to overpay the producer. You might overpay whatever. But after you do your first record, you're going to learn the game and you'll get better. And then it'll give you an opportunity to kind of test to see what your fans like. You're going to go out there and create 14 songs. You might only like three of them. Well, if right. you knew they like that type of song, you could have made more records like more. that. So the, and so I think yeah, that's
3: so- a great point. It's it's like, you, y'all have to look at this. This is a marathon, not a sprint. And you learn, so if, you're, if you slow it down, sometimes you can learn so much more. And I think this is where social media has really impacted what people can do with the music industry. Because it's almost like you're testing your audience. You do one, two, three songs. Okay. They like this. They like this. Then you can go back and like, you really have to build for what your customer base also wants. I understand that musicians are artists and they're like, I know what I like, but if you're trying to recoup your expenses, you got to pay attention to who, who your customers are.
1: Man, some people don't even have a target. They don't even <laughs> know how much money they trying to get back. Like yep. they, they don't have a goal. They don't even know. They just, they spent the money they don't even know how much they really spent. And then how can you make a plan? If you know that, hey, man, my dad spent $2,500 on this song. All I got to do is get this $2,500 back. It doesn't matter if you go do an open yeah. mic, if you win a contest, you have a goal. But when you when you don't have a goal or a target, that's when we struggle. When, when, when it's not clear, we struggle. And the, and the one, one other thing I do want to say, this has come up a lot in my consultations. I always ask artists and producers or people, what do you think a artist's number one asset is, and we get answers from lyrics to stage presence to my personality. And I'm trying to get people to realize that as an artist, in my opinion, your your your, your most valuable asset is your fan base. Uh-huh. And if you don't, and if you don't spend, you get artists spending all of their time writing dope rhymes, singing songs, performing performing, but they're never building up their fan base. So, like I tell them, man, if I'm a promoter. And I want you to come perform at my club. But when I pay you, nobody comes to see you. You don't have any value to me, even though you can sing. If I'm a brand and I want you to endorse my product and when you drink out of it and nobody buys it, you don't have any value. And so right. in our world, the person that's the Olympian, the number one contender, doesn't get the flight Floyd Mayweather. Right. It's the, it's the dude that got five million social media followers,
3: right? That's right. The, the just best that artist,
1: <laughs> yeah, the, the best artist doesn't get the deal. It's the social media person. So these people on social media, they're spending all of their time building up their fan base and creating value where these artists are spending all their time working on their craft. Yep. And and I and I think we're missing it. And, and so we get so many people they come in and create a product. And I'll be like, well, well you don't have a, a fan base that deliver a product to. And so that's where I think that they're the biggest gap that I'm seeing um, from the time that they leave the studio. They think that they can go straight to the stage or go straight to radio, but don't nobody want to hear anything that they
3: never heard before. They've never heard it. And I think yeah. this is really interesting. And it shows just the sort of the way society has moved because social media is your key now so some people think i don't need it some people you know sort of live by it and swear by it but that's really the outlets that people go to to sell their music create a fan base Um, and i think this whole idea of like these creator economies and how you get paid for it is going to change dramatically in the future you know you're going to see people being able to sell direct to their consumers Underst- have a better understanding of who their consumers are, who their top consumers are. Um, so this is something that I think people have to pay attention to.
1: Yep, I'd be like, man, if, if, a, if a TV network came around and gave you a free TV channel, would you take it? Right. They'd be like, yeah, I said, well, why do y'all have a YouTube page? Yeah,
3: Yep. yeah, yeah man, absolutely. Cool. Wow, yeah. well, Curtis, thank you so much for coming to the Money Moves podcast today. We appreciate you and all the wisdom that you've imparted on us. Can you let our audience know where they can find you and reach out to you on social media, on YouTube, et cetera?
1: Yeah, um, it's it's either going to be Patchwork Recording Studios and it's P-A-T-C-H-W-E-R-K or Patchwork Studio. That's all our social media on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, Twitter, everything is on there, Patchwork Studio or Patchwork Recording Studios. And, um, you know, you can always reach us at 404- 874 9880. We keep a manager here seven days a week from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. And then our website is a great source of information. It's just patchwork.com.
3: All right. You guys heard it here. It's patch work with an E and thank you so much. You are truly an OG in this industry. And it's so heartwarming to have found someone who is so open about mentorship, sharing knowledge and helping to really reach down and lift others up so that they can achieve success. All of these philosophies that we so strongly espouse at Greenwood. So thank you so much, Curtis. You've been a joy to have on the podcast. All right, money movers, that's all the time we have for today, but please make sure to follow Curtis on all his social media handles. And if we helped you make your money move, please make sure to let us know by sending us a like, sharing the knowledge and leaving us a review on Apple podcasts. Make sure to tune in Monday through Friday and subscribe to the Money Moves podcast powered by Greenwood so that you too can have the keys to financial freedom you so rightly deserve. Zumo Play.